0: Welcome to the Filmlings Podcast, a weekly podcast where
1: we analyze all that goes into
0: effective filmmaking. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Alex. And this is Week 12 Cyberpunk Chaos. And joining us today is
2: Jason. It's me, also known as the Blue Jay. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Good to have you on the show, Jason. Thank
1: you for joining us today.
2: It's an absolute honor. I'm excited to, you know, get to talk about these movies with y'all. I've been, y'all know I've been really excited to hear y'all's thoughts.
0: Yeah, this, Jason's been a good friend of ours, and he does movie reviews on his own channel, which we'll mm-hmm. plug later. Um, so he suggested we watch some more anime um, mm-hmm. after Miyazaki a couple weeks ago. And this is uh, like the dark and gritty side of uh, <laughs> Miyazaki's happy, fun side. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's definitely a way to
2: put it.
1: Right. And these are movies that are totally new to both me and Jonathan. But yeah, um, I know, Jason, you've had a very long, uh, I guess, relationship is the right word with some of these films, at least that you've seen and loved for a long time. So it'll be really cool to have um, your kind of like long term perspective on it, um, Mm -hmm. especially with these coming back into the limelight now with uh, the Ghost in the Shell remake.
2: Yes, absolutely, which we'll probably talk about later on. I'm going to actually see that one for my channel, so we'll see about that.
0: And even Akira, uh, but we'll talk about that in a second also. Yeah, more rumors about that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: right. Once once Hollywood gets on a remake binge, they don't stop. So
0: They don't stop. That's yeah. that's been this whole year. Yeah, this year is insane <sighs> like just remake and reboot and sequel <laughs> and I'm I'm excited for Dunkirk cuz that's it's like the only uh, original thing I could find. Yeah, yeah, I too.
1: Yeah, but we're just trying doing our best over here on the film links to stay ahead of the curve. And uh, this week, Jason is joining us, and we are going to talk about our theme, which is cyberpunk chaos. Um, as you'll know, not all the movies this week have the same director, so we'd mm-hmm. like to talk about those as themes. And the three movies we're talking about this week are 1988's Akira, 1995's Ghost in the Shell, so the original, not the reboot, Um, and then 2006's Paprika, which is not Inception, but is kind of Inception. (laughs) And we'll talk about that more when we get there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, each of these films have had a big influence on some really big uh, Western films, so we'll talk about that Um, And another kind of thread that goes through all these is this idea of kind of dual identities and, uh, you know, discovering yourself and uh, the way technology influences our own self images.
1: And another thing that I got into this week, and I hope we can drive home for our audience um, in this episode is um, kind of dispelling that attitude that you see sometimes in mainstream culture. Uh, where people will turn their nose up or kind of scoff at Mm -hmm. just the thought of anime. They think it's silly or childish. But as we'll see, these are really fantastic films technically, story-wise, metaphorically um, that don't just have the respect of anime enthusiasts like us but um, mainstream filmmakers in the United States whose work is widely respected in the mainstream, like Christopher Nolan. So Mm -hmm. we're we're kind of tracing that thought back. And uh, one of the things that I I really hope our audience comes away with this week is if they don't already have it, a newfound respect for anime as an art form that is legitimate and not um, silly.
0: Right. Yeah, but I think another thing that we'll talk about is where we can see kind of How the the cultural difference and the differences in like the use of language and the way that dubs are done can kind of add to that that kind of strangeness. That's watching anime film is very different than watching an American film, but that doesn't that doesn't make it any less worthy of our attention. Um, But we can definitely see the differences there. Absolutely,
2: and if I may chime in on something as well, um, just based on experience, you know, with you know people like kind of pushing back on you know Japanese film in general you know it's a different perspective and I think some people are just afraid of seeing different ideals you know when they see you know the stuff that is you know going on on screen with the Japanese film or anime for that matter you know it's it is shell shocking it's weird you know and if you don't if you walk in on it sometimes you're just like what are you watching son you know like very weird things go on in these shows. But, I, I, you know, it's important to have an open mind when you watch these movies because they are. They do bring different perspectives. And I think that's what's really exciting is learning, you know, from these movies and shows and, you know, whatnot.
1: And that is what we are all about here on Film Links. So with that, let's dive into our first movie of the week, Akira.
2: So basically, Akira is uh, about uh, Neo-Tokyo. It takes place in 2019. It's this cyberpunk kind of world that this is right after world war three. And so, um, you see these characters that, you know, they're teens and they're just kind of, you know, going through the motions of their lives until one day, one of their friends encounters, um, this weird child like person. It's going to get weird here. If you haven't seen this a green child, a little green child. (laughs) And, uh, it's from that moment on that he gets basically kidnapped and starts getting experimented on and starts getting, these crazy psychokinetic abilities. And it's from that moment on that he starts gaining power and awakens a God, essentially. I don't want to say too much because I don't really want to spoil it, but uh, this is a God that has been buried, you know, beneath the city, you know, for years. And they, people have been waiting for this God to awaken and ah, it's kind of hard to explain actually. Dang. It is hard
0: to explain. (laughs) I know. Yeah. And just to, Clarify the the green child isn't the one who got kidnapped, it's the right, the, yeah, the uh, kid who kind of ran in well, literally ran into the little green
2: child. Maybe I should give names. His name's Tetsuo. Uh, this character, yeah. he's one of the main characters,
0: no. but yeah, the,
1: te, uh, Tetsuo is one of the two main characters. He's the one you were talking about who mm-hmm. um gains superpowers basically. Um, except they're kind of not superpowers, they're kind of like next evolutionary step powers. And, and that That's ends up being a very big theme throughout the movie. Um, and then our other big player, uh, kind of the protagonist we follow and oh. root for across mm. the movie is Kaneda, who is the leader of the teenage bike gang that Tetsuo is from and one of Tetsuo's best friends slash rivals. And um, this the story, if anything, is is big and dramatic and epic, but it's also mm. kind of on a microscopic scale. Um, the story of the end of their friendship over the course of the film.
2: That's
0: deep. I could not have said
2: that any better. (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, there's a lot going on in this movie. Um, And all of these movies, so we're going to do our best to describe them.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it gets difficult because uh, certainly with Akira and Ghost in the Shell, you're looking at uh, two franchises that were... um, large and popular mangas before they are ever made into movies so they already have a very deep uh, colorful world behind them with very fleshed out characters that are then being taken to the big screen and just a little disclaimer i haven't read any of the mangas associated with akira or ghost in the shell or the book that paprika is based on so i don't know the source material from them but I can only imagine that there's a lot more to draw on. So when you take it to a movie format in a fantasy, sci-fi, cyberpunk world, you're going to end up with a super complex plot with a lot of layers to it. And you certainly do end up with that here, but we can only go so deep into them in, uh, in this format.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of one of the things I wanted to talk about, kind of across all of these movies, but the fact that it kind of feels like you... Would have more information if you knew the mangas before going into them, uh, going into these movies, um, because the, the exposition of these Japanese narratives is very different, at least from the way that American narrative is. And uh, it takes a while to actually fully get a picture of what's going on. Um, I don't know if it was trying to be mysterious or what, but it was just... Kind of, uh, they keep bringing up things that aren't explained, and you're like, okay, I'm yeah. gonna keep going along and hope that this pays off. Which, of course, it does, but yep. it it, it uh, doesn't give you a whole lot of confidence in in where they're going with it at the beginning because they just keep bringing up mysteries, I guess. <laughs> and that's really the thing with uh, Japanese
2: entertainment in general is it's always it's most often based off of a manga, and so when they bring it over to a two hour film, you know, there's so much that is just brushed over and not explained. And that's just with all of their all of their stuff. I mean, I've
0: yeah. There's uh, there's so many questions that yes. I came away with. <laughs> I think we all came away with questions from each of these movies. But like in Ak- in Akira, I was very confused about Akira, which we can't talk about too much. But mm-hmm. I was a little confused about um, the mutant children <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, uh, a couple of other things that they they kind of get into, but not in depth. And I feel like that's where the and knowing the source material kind of adds to the experience, I guess.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll also say that I ended up watching both of these or all three of these movies twice this week. Um, oh, wow. And and since there's so much in each one of them, it's really easy to miss stuff. And that yeah. second time that I watched them was, was just a continual series of, oh, that makes so much more sense now. Um, about every five minutes while watching the film. And, and that's what's fun about I these hide. movies. It's, yeah. oh, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's a really, it's, it feels like you're, it doesn't feel so much like a rewatch at that point. It yeah. feels like a new experience. Um, and I, I really mm-hmm. recommend watching each of these movies um, more than once, if you have the time. Um, I, I highly recommend it.
0: I most certainly agree. Um, so let's talk about the uh, the style of this movie because it's kind of amazing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the the animation in all three of these movies is just spectacular um and this one i know has a lot of uh very specific uses of light yes. and i think alex you had a lot of uh thoughts about that
1: yeah uh correct me if i'm wrong here jason but this was all done with uh, cell animation correct
0: Absolutely it was.
2: Painstakingly, every single <laughs> frame. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> Which makes it even uh, more amazing when you watch uh, or take a look at this cyberpunk environment they, they've been indulged or uh, immersed in uh, with mm-hmm. these lights and neon everywhere. There's spotlights sticking up in the sky. And uh, it's essentially the world we dive into first in Neo-Tokyo is this world of teenage biker gangs. Um, it felt like the Japanese don't.
0: outsiders to me. That's <laughs> yeah, what you were saying. Yeah, agree. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> but they're all good. these cyberpunk-style bikes. So as they they're racing around, fighting each other throughout the city, they leave these light trails behind them. So, uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to risk diving too much into that metaphorically. Um,
0: yeah, it's almost foreshadowing in a sense. Yeah,
1: in a way. Yeah, uh, but you you can. First of all, it's just beautiful. Um, and second of all, it makes the, the scenes and the characters stick with you. So even when you see uh, Tetsuo start to demonstrate his uh, psychic powers, almost all of his psychokinetic powers involve um, some usage of light or the lights reacting to them.
0: Yeah, changing in light. Yeah,
1: there's, there's one point where he kills these guards in the hall um, it's a cool scene, <laughs> which is a really yeah. cool scene. But the second he kills them, all the lights go out in the, all hall, the lights go out, yeah, and then they come back when he's done. Um, and it, it kind of serves as a metaphor for life, um, the pulsing beat of this city to a certain extent. And by the way, it serves as a metaphor for about a million things. So yeah. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't. I mean, I'm not saying it's only for that, um, but the the idea of life and the evolution of life is a big part of this movie and uh, the light the light motifs kind of help pull the entire movie together. So you feel like you're in the same space across it.
0: Yeah and one of the biggest uses of light I don't want to like talk about the specifics of the situation, but it's basically this huge nuclear explosion um, that kind of, wipes out the whole city. This happens in multiple places during the movie. Um, and it's extremely reminiscent of, of course, the atomic bombs, even though they're never actually called, uh, atomic explosions hmm. or, uh, nuclear disasters. But I thought that well, that was very not. interesting. I know <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah. I know they're not, but it's, it's, I mean, it looks just like that. And, uh, I mean, the fact that of course, atomic destruction is very, uh, close to Japanese culture. Yeah. Um, was, was really interesting to me.
2: And, you know, to continue uh, with the animation, uh, another thing aside from the light, because that's really impressive, but um, another impressive thing about the animation is just you really feel the weight of the situations. You know, when someone is getting shot, you feel that person getting shot. When somebody's in pain, you feel the writhing in pain. When there's an explosion, you, you feel the weight of the explosion. I mean, it's the animation, because it all it is all done like painstakingly frame by frame, you're able to feel get more of the weight of the animation, if that makes sense. It's just very weighty, and it feels good. It's organic, and it's raw, and I love that. Um, The gore, too. The way everything just kind of flows, and it's nasty, and... I I don't know. This is one of my favorite examples of really well-done fluid animation, especially from Japan.
1: Yeah, and so what 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 you're saying is that none of this was done by computer cuz i feel like that's the, like the modern perception of animation mm-hmm. is that it's all done on a computer but this this is all hand drawn
2: absolutely and you can just tell uh, just the way the buildings are th- they look they look they almost look as if they're watercolored and the reflections they don't look like a cgi reflection you can see um, you know the soft shades and everything it's it it just feels real uh, even with it being animated like that
1: yeah, and that makes it even more impressive, um, especially like I was just saying in in a day and age where most of the animation we see, especially here in the West, um, which ironically is done in like Korea, uh, yeah, it yeah, <laughs> is uh, it is done on a computer for the most part, which doesn't you know it doesn't take away from the artistry of it, but it, it is a definitely a different time. Um, and it was it was a different time, especially for Japanese anime, because it wasn't super popular in the West. But it was starting to break in, wasn't it?
2: Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I I for, I'm, I don't know if I have the dates correct. I mean, I'm sure Dragon Ball Z was around, or just Dragon Ball in general. You know, that was one of the animes that were very popular. Um, but Akira, when that came into the, you know the Western world, no one had seen anything like this. Um, it was definitely. It definitely pushed boundaries but people loved it people resonated with it because you don't get that very often in american cinema and um but yeah akira definitely is the reason why anime is as popular as it is today i mean just think of all the stuff that's coming out now it's even more um it's even more popular today, is what I'm trying to say. There's a lot of animes that every, like, not even just anime fans, but a lot of people are starting to watch them now. I, I remember being even in the 2000s, there were people that uh, wouldn't even want to look at it. I mean, you could watch anime on Adult Swim and stuff like that, but not everybody watched it. And now everybody, even people I never even thought would watch this stuff, is watching it. Like, like you guys, it's <laughs> people are taking it more seriously. Yeah, but I it would all definitely started- include
1: myself in that group.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I, exciting.
1: I, I definitely would. I would kind of looked down on it in high school, I think, and now that I've I've kind of had experience in it, and um, you, you grow to appreciate it because my my at least personally my vision of animation, my idea of what animation was, um, mm-hmm. was Disney kids animation. Is animation go. is for children, and animation is this clean cut Disney style animation. Um, but there there there's a lot more to do with it it's it's just another style of filmmaking it's not limited to certain genres um and akira is uh proof of that obviously it's shockingly beautiful and it covers some very deep meaningful themes that i like high school me would be blown out the water to see covered (laughs) uh in an animated film and you know now i'm i'm more open to this kind of stuff and I really really love uh, watching it and seeing it develop and and you can see that acceptance come through more and more into the mainstream um, with, with more reboots coming around uh, for oh, yes. anime films in Hollywood
0: yeah for example uh, news that I just heard about this week I think just broke this week um, or last week if you're listening to this on Tuesday Uh, is that Jordan Peele of (laughs) recent um, Get Out fame and of uh, Kian Peele is now slated to direct a live-action version of Akira, which should be fascinating to track its development because this is not a film that you watch and you're like, oh, yeah, someone could totally film this in live-action.
2: And I was going to say, they were going to actually... There was rumors even before this, years before this, that they were going to do a live-action Akira, and they had... I think they had, like, rumors of who they were going to cast. Like, Helena Bonham Carter was going to play as that, like, priestess. (laughs) The one with the beads and the one that was kind of leading that protest. Oh, Oh, yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It was going to be like that.
0: That's such (laughs) a Helena (laughs) Bonham Carter role, though. (laughs) It is.
2: But, um, yeah, it's kind of weird to see that uh, this is still... Warner Brothers is still trying to do this. And I'm totally down with Peel doing it. He's got a really... Uh, interesting knack for like horror and just
0: suspense. I can see and it happening. S- social commentary now, apparently. Yeah, yeah they're proving and, uh, themselves,
1: uh, both Key and peel to be much more versatile than uh, we thought they were in their, their pure comedy central days. And I'm excited to see more of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think one thing that the remakes, uh, that we can see with the interest of remakes like this and, of course, the Ghost in the Shell that's just come out um, is to kind of put the films in a way that's a little bit more accessible to mm. American audiences because definitely watching these or coming into these movies fresh this week, you can see the, uh, the differences in how uh, Japanese narratives are presented. For example, they're pretty light on exposition, mm. uh, which I think I touched on before. And um, also just the, the voice acting... Is not like when we watch the Miyazaki movies, where are dubbed by Disney and really well-known actors and people who have done a lot of voice work. Yeah. These 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 dubs were were uh, they less were juggled con- around. Yeah, Different less studios. convincing, less convincing to me. Um, yeah, and uh, they felt like I don't know exactly how the Japanese language is structured, but I get the sense that they're able to convey an idea with a much shorter. Uh, spurts of language than mm-hmm. we are. So some of the lines felt really crammed in to fit with the mouth animation and stuff. Sometimes even stretched out. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it, it was strange, but I can see how someone who's already tentative about watching anime could kind of find all these little sticking points that makes them uh, kind of out of their comfort zone of what they're used to in American film and kind of turn them off uh, before they really have given it a chance.
2: And it's unfortunate because chances are they probably won't even watch the Japanese like language version either. They're going to want to watch something that's in English, and so if it's that the dub isn't up to par, it's a yeah. Missed opportunity. And I mean,
0: there's there's obviously pros and cons of each. Um, yeah. Like I watched Akira and Ghost in the Shell in English dubs this week, and Paprika in the Japanese subtitles, and uh, so. If you have dubbed, good dubbed versions, then you're able to take in the visuals a lot more because you're able to actually watch the frames instead of reading the subtitles. But if you have the subtitle versions, then you kind of get the the emphasis of the voice yeah. uh, more accurately, obviously, because that's how it's supposed to be recorded.
1: Yeah, that's kind of been a stereotype of Japanese and Eastern film in general for ever almost if you Mm. go back way back to like old martial arts films um (laughs) yeah you know out of sync mouths is is kind of uh one of the big stereotypes there and that's because of bad dubbing um but thankfully i think uh especially in large part due to uh miyazaki i think we can thank him a lot for this sure is much better dubs are coming around these days. So if Akira was, if, if an Akira caliber movie was made um, next year in an in animated style in Japan and gained a distribution deal in the U.S., it would be dubbed by some of the biggest names that they could hire. Because um, that's exactly what you see with uh, Miyazaki movies, uh, really big names doing really great dubs.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I'm actually interested, Jason, because you were uh, thinking about watching a movie called Your Name recently, which is a pretty new uh, Japanese animated film um, with kind of a Freaky Friday flair to it. A little bit, yeah. But do you know... If they have English dubs, and if the English dubs are done by anyone uh, notable,
2: absolutely. Uh, I couldn't tell you the names of the people. I've yet to look at the cast. Uh, this movie came out last year, technically, but Funimation, uh, which is a very big uh, dubbing company, they're the ones who did Dragon Ball Z. Oh yeah. Uh, they yeah. They actually did uh, Akira. Well, is that right? if I may give you a fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> uh Akira was dubbed by Bandai. Now there was a company that dubbed it even before that. Uh, But it wasn't as good. Not a lot of people wanted to watch that. Bandai got the rights. And so this is the one that everybody hears. I think uh, you mentioned it was dubbed in 2001, something like that. Um, But uh, anyways, Bandai had a big falling out. They went bankrupt. So Funimation, amazing. They bought the rights to the show. And so they were able to re-release it. And so they've been doing that with a lot of Bandai products. That's but they a didn't redub fact. it. They just no, they didn't it. redub oh, okay. it. But but even still, it's they pretty exciting that it. Funimation. Yeah, they really should. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess that's kind of true. But then again, this is the one that you know people have seen, and it's it's got a it's got a charm
0: to it. Yeah, you know, with the cheesiness. Yeah, the dub the dub on this one can be characterized by uh, characters yelling a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yell. oh! <laughs> Everybody yells. In contrast to uh, Ghost in the Shell. Um, oh yes. Which should we get into Ghost in the Shell now? Yeah, let's talk about a different kind of bad dubbing.
1: Jonathan, do you want (laughs) to tell us a little bit about uh, what that movie's all about?
0: Oh man! Uh, Yeah, again, as much as we can (laughs) without (laughs) spoiling it, because these movies like get all all these movies get super spoilery at the end. Although Paprika will be hard enough to describe, let alone uh, spoil. There you go. (laughs) Um, so, Ghost in the Shell takes place after World War Four. This time, amazing. Uh, the world is extremely divided. Uh, Japan is now the reigning superpower, uh, and we're set in the city called Newport City. Um, and we're kind of following these two detectives who are tracking an American hacker who um, has the. The hacker's name is the. The puppet master. There
2: you go. <laughs> I, I blanked too. I was like trying to remember <laughs> all these names.
0: Um, so they call him the the puppet master because, essentially, in this dystopia, everyone is um, well. The best way to describe it is. Uh, from a movie that was heavily influenced by this film, which is The Matrix. Mm-hmm. So everyone has these little ports in their body that they can connect to a matrix of information and uh, all this stuff. But someone is matrix hacking of in. of information. Uh, 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 um, there you go. <laughs> um, so someone has been hacking into it and taking control of people's... So <laughs> to back up, basically your soul or your body Brain network is is called your ghost mm-hmm. in this world, and your body, which is basically just hardware to um, to assist your ghost, is called the shell. Hence the title. <laughs> so the hacker can hack into people's ghosts and control their shell, so that he can use their body to do things that they don't know that they're doing and, uh, implant memories and stuff like that. So really throughout the film, there's this whole tension of self identity because Mm. when, uh, your, your, um, psychological self is separated from your bodily self, it becomes very confusing to know like who you are and what you are and, um, all this kind of stuff. And, we we go through another kind of evolutionary process in this one, um, but yeah, that's uh, in a nutshell. Uh, as in best a nutshell. Oh out. my gosh! Get out! <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> pun yeah. week apparently. And I just wanted I just want
1: to be super clear before we go farther into this movie, um, especially for anybody who has plans to see the new Ghost in the Shell. That this movie is not based on the Matrix. The Matrix is based on this movie.
0: <laughs> there you yeah, go. Get it Thank it you for, for saying it it so, straight.
1: So, if anybody goes and sees uh, the Scarlett Johansson reboot and is like, "They just copied the Matrix," oh no. gosh, no, nope. you no, know. <laughs> no, and there, believe there, it. There are, are people there matrix, saying that. Are there matrix, yeah. re- matrix references in it? Yes, and that's weird. Uh, <laughs>
0: that's really weird and meta. But, um,
1: but, but no, I will this say, is, it's not- this is the OG one.
0: The Matrix isn't exactly based on it. It just took a lot of influences from the world building. There are some other movies that got influenced too. It just took almost all of of its conventions Uh, from it. Yeah, Westworld actually takes um, some conventions of the shell building and stuff. Um, The intro of this film has some shots that are almost exactly mirrored in the Westworld intro.
1: Although, did you know that Westworld is a reboot of a movie from like the 70s?
0: Yeah, I did. I it's, didn't realize uh, that at first, until a few weeks ago, one of my favorite streamers was talking about that. I was like, "Oh
2: no way!" That's I didn't realize that. Yeah,
0: I'll have to look it up because yeah. there's actually a bunch of other worlds too that I don't. I'll, I'm interested if the show is going to get into that. That's cool. Anyway, yeah, unrelated. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Every, everything is a
1: reboot or an influence. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing is original. Art is art con- inspired by art rebooting art remaking art.
0: Yeah, we've talked about that in two of our other podcasts about this whole idea of recycling art, recycling itself. Um, so it's not bad. It's just the the more new that you can make it, and if you take old ideas and inf- and use it to push new themes and uh, explore new ideas, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's what it's about. It's you, you know,
1: it would be great an art recycling T-shirt.
0: Okay, we'll uh, maybe we have a graphic designer listening. Out of our, what, <laughs> 30 listeners?
2: <laughs> I know a guy. I know a guy. That's a good right, idea.
0: We'll work on that.
1: Just just a soft pitch up there. Um, but anyway, <laughs> back to uh, Ghost in the Shell and the the entire uh, question of what is an identity? What does it mean to be human? Mm. At what point have you replaced enough of your body with technology that you're no longer a person? How can you trust that your memories are your memories If, uh, if somebody could hack into your brain and change them, is technology the next evolutionary step for humans? Thoughts? Hmm.
2: That's, it almost (laughs) seems like it is, uh, with a lot of the things that, you know, science is starting to do. Like I never would have imagined a lot of the stuff they're doing, like with, um, robotic arms It's happening. You know, robotic arms are happening. Um, (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah yeah Ooh, those are some bad side effects yeah <laughs> yeah it's definitely um, a
1: different experience uh to watch it now in 2017 yeah uh, it is. versus Goodness. a 1995 when you can have a prosthetic that can link into your nervous system sure. um
2: well it's weird you that know. you mentioned that because a lot of movies that came out in the 80s and such they were always kind of i always kind of ballparked it at like Somewhere where we are now, like 2019, 2030, you know, stuff like that, that's pretty near now. And so it's interesting to kind of look at the way things are now and comparing, like, what did they get right? Uh, Back to the Future is a good example of that. Um, but um, I don't so, know. So yeah, lots it's of interesting.
1: Machines in
0: a house.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we totally got that far. Look at that.
0: No, uh, no. Yeah, but it's interesting but. as far as all of these questions, hmm. like, the answers that the movie seems to present is that, yes, this is the, the next, I guess, evolutionary process. But it's almost, it's almost like it's saying that it is the only way to perfect the human experience hmm. in a strange way. There's a quote that starts running through our protagonist's head randomly, which is, uh, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known which is actually a quote from the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. That's cool. Um, where the Apostle Paul is talking about our experience after death um, with resurrected bodies, which are incorruptible and eternal. And that's kind of, I guess, what the film is trying to get at from a technological perspective, this mm. idea that if a person can merge with an infinite network of um, information and can constantly be rebuilding their their shell their body uh, because it's not even human it's just a bunch of hardware that can be replaced and remade um, then that is the the only way to create the the perfect human experience like I said so it's an interesting idea that this film seems to be getting into which yeah. is co- kind of I'd- different from the the evolution in Akira
2: yeah.
1: It, it definitely tackles um, some really big, really interesting themes in uh, a kind of similar setting to Akira, but in a different um, a different outlook. It's almost uh, kind of optimistic, whereas Akira is all about uh, destruction and um, the end of things. Whereas yeah, Ghost in the that- Shell is uh, it's almost about the genesis of something new. Uh, which is a really interesting contrast between the two movies, and yeah. it does the contrast don't stop there. Even though they're rooted in um, this cyberpunk world, which is just as beautiful in Ghost in the Shell as it is in Akira, but in Ghost in the Shell, it's this this will sound weird, but I can't think of a better word. It, it's a lot less animated than is in Akira. The, oh, the yeah, world absolutely. of Akira is all about movement. But the the world of Ghost in the Shell almost feels kind of robotic and cold and yeah, sterile. Yeah, it's very
0: very still, very um, uh, I guess methodical and kind of um, you know not a gliding. lot of facial
1: expressions.
0: Yeah, yeah, if any, sometimes because the idea is that the the shells you don't have to use your mouth to speak really. You can, you you just have kind of this speaker system that since it's all a a robotic system essentially. Um, and it's interesting the fact that they, they change between speaking through whatever, um, speaker system they have in their body and actually using their mouths to simulate vocal, uh, speaking. And they kind Mm. of switch between it for kind of. No reason just to remind the audience that these aren't people. These are robots, I yeah, guess. Because yeah. you yeah. do
2: kind of find... You find yourself kind of feeling them. Like, oh yeah, this is a person. And so the movie's constantly reminding you, no, not, these are yeah, not, not really, really people. <laughs> uh, so that is interesting you mentioned that. I didn't think about that. Huh.
1: Yeah, and it, it's, it's an interesting... Uh, that part was definitely intentional because it's part of the original Japanese film, but it worked in an interesting combination with the English dub which is uh, either awful. spot on if you're going for cold no emotion roboticness <laughs> or um, terrible if you don't know what's going on. Um, and I, I found myself conflicted between those two poles while I was watching the movie. I was like either this is really smart and well done dubbing or it's terrible. it's it's one of the two.
2: It's so confusing, but it really does work you know in its favor with those characters
0: but sometimes yeah, it just sometimes drags. yeah because it's like At at points in the film, there are, you know, emotion and intensity in the voices. And then at other points, like the most dramatic points when our protagonist is is talking through her, you know, confusion about, you know, what she is. And well, I don't even want to say she really, because there's a confusion about that, too, Um, since the the bodies are robotic and the, the ghosts can be implanted anywhere. There's really no correlation between body gender and uh, mental gender hmm. but anyway during this point when she's kind of going through all of these ideas is l- the most stoic reading of lines <laughs> throughout the whole movie and it's just like uh okay it felt like it
1: should be a little emotional like like if there's one yeah. part where if you there's break anything. The, the, the coldness and insert some emotion that would be it um, or maybe you know it could be a side effect of what people knew about, um, voice recordings in 1995, since she was obviously, sure. you know, speaking off of that, they didn't have Siri or even, you know, uh, some kind of, um, gosh, what is the word that I'm thinking about? Oh gosh. Artificial voice recordings. Yeah. Where, where it's drawing, like it's drawing from a bank of pre-recorded messages. Yeah. Uh, like, like Siri does. Um, And they they just uh, underestimated that technology, maybe. I don't don't know. It it could be many things. The
0: other option is just a terrible voice actor. Who knows? (laughs) It's it's probably
1: part of that, too. Because while Ghost in the Shell... Ghost in the Shell did okay in Japan, but it really took off in the U.S., comparatively. Um, And obviously, it had a really big effect on uh, movies like The Matrix and then later on Westworld, like you guys were saying earlier, um, and, and kind of achieved this this classicness in the West that it maybe didn't achieve quite to the same extent in Japan. Um,
0: Yeah. I get the feeling that the, a lot of the appeal comes from the world building and the technology and, you know, all of these innovative ideas that are put in here, like people connecting through their necks into their cars to get information and the, the invisibility um, of the shells and, um, and all of that kind of stuff, more so than the actual story that was going on underneath. The story almost seems like, at least to the American influence, more of a a, a shell. Yeah. <laughs> for the uh, for all the cool um, the puns technological don't stop. innovations. Puns don't stop. It won't stop. <laughs> Can't stop. We got we stop. get more puns in paprika, so get ready. For oh them. yeah, <laughs> get ready for that. And
1: they they just do it. They, they were in just, the movie. Yeah. They, once I realized they were like turning into that curve, I got really excited but uh, (laughs) Uh, one one of the uh, most interesting things about Ghost in the Shell is that it's it's a dated movie to 1995 and even now The Matrix is a dated movie too because
0: well The Matrix gets a pass I'll talk about that if you want (laughs) oh whatever I Uh, think The Matrix gets a pass (laughs) because the the plot of the story is that the world stopped in 1999 (laughs) so you literally can't You know,
1: dock it for technology. Super (laughs) mega enlightened machines can innovate. You're telling me they couldn't invent Wi-Fi? That's (laughs) what I'm getting at. There's no need for anybody to shove a joke. Why would they give the humans Wi-Fi? They wouldn't give the humans Wi-Fi. Because they wouldn't know they they had Wi-Fi. They would just be in (laughs) the humans
0: couldn't develop Wi-Fi. And then if the machines developed Wi-Fi, they wouldn't give it to the humans. That's all I'm saying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think you're just blinded by your matrix love. But the point <laughs> is, in Ghost in the Shell, um, it's like the twenty second century, and no, everybody's plugging in in the back of their necks, which is a really cool visual. But let's be honest, if it was really, you know, twenty one forty nine or whatever it is in the film, we would all just be like using the microchip Wi Fi enabled computer in it's our head. True. Yeah, we, we we wouldn't need a plug in.
0: But that's not as visually interesting.
1: Which is true and is a good point. I'm just saying it dates the movie.
2: Um, So I did want to mention a fun fact about the dubbing uh, before we move on. Uh, So if you listen carefully, I don't know if you caught this, Alex. You seem to really notice a lot of things. Let's see if you caught this. Did you hear the Canadian accents? Slightly. I was wondering about that. Yeah. A lot of dubs in the 90s were done in Canada. And so if you listen carefully, their accents really come through like you'll hear a boot. Which is my favorite I one.
1: I don't know why that makes sense, but it does for some reason. Just <laughs> I know, 1980s that's what I'm thinking anime too. Canada. Why does that make sense?
0: No, that's funny. I thought. thought you might be interested in that, I Thought it was funny. So uh, do we want to get into paprika now? Alex has some strong feelings. spice it up with some paprika. Oh, there it is. We've already started. <laughs> oh, my. my. Was that your attempt at an
1: accent? I don't even know.
2: I was just saying something.
0: Yeah, he was did, just how excited. How did they say it?
1: Paprika. I can't do it. It's like it's like they shorten the K almost. They, they shorten the K. Paprika. It almost sounds like they're saying paprika. Um, paprika. <laughs>
0: it's almost like a, like a Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, <Go> paprika.
1: <laughs> if, if you can tell from our, our terrible impressions here, our uh, paprika was the only movie we have watched this week in the original Japanese, um, which made a big difference in terms of the acting. Because you really got the sense of the emotion, even though you had to kind of split your attention between the subtitles and the visuals.
2: I'm glad we got the opportunity to at least watch one of them in Japanese. Yeah. Would, it just kind of yeah. worked out.
0: I Although watched at it, some twice, point, so it probably, didn't matter. At some point, <laughs> I would probably watch it and just, even if it's in Japanese, turn the subtitles off because the visuals were friggin' amazing. There you go. <laughs> I don't yeah.
1: even think you'd need the dialogue in a you really don't. Cone movie. Like, like it's. don't get me wrong, the dialogue is fantastic. But I think you can just watch it and you're good. You know what's going on.
0: Well, um, we should try that. <laughs> I barely knew what was going on with the subtitles, but that was kind of the point at a lot of points. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, true. that's true.
1: That's true. Um, it's definitely a surrealist movie. Yeah. Um, but anyway. The,
0: we might be getting into more of that later in the podcast.
1: The, the, spoilers. the story <laughs> Spoilers! Oh, no. Don't get Jonathan started on surrealism. I'm excited. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Anyway, <laughs> um, but anyway, the story of Paprika, um, it's interesting because it's the only one not set far in the future. Um, mm. It's set in the near future, probably either modern day or within like the next twenty years. Yeah, they don't um, specify,
0: do they? They not don't really.
1: specify, but it, it, you can pretty much assume that it's it's not too far away. There's there's no crazy motorbikes running around the streets. There's no uh, crazy robots. Running around the streets, there's just regular well. people. And <laughs> well,
0: that's not entirely true. <laughs> well, well if I there, might. there was one robot. <laughs> uh, yeah, just one. <laughs> there that was an actually dream, super though.
1: important robot. Um, but well, the, if I the, may, the real quick, we I, before you still...
2: move on, I'm sorry. I wanted to say this one thing. This is really interesting. I just realized this. But like, it's one of the first movies I've seen that portrays a more realistic looking future. If you get my drift.
0: Yeah, like a technology yeah. that we could actually have in the next twenty years.
2: Yeah, because yeah. usually movies go like try to be innovative, right? And then they kinda... just end up saturating the
1: world in future tech, yes. and you kind of lose the character of that space. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I get I get what you're saying.
2: Thought uh, I mentioned that, but yes, like, go the, ahead. Like
1: the future might have flying cars, but not there's not flying cars everywhere. Right?
2: Yes. Yeah, like yeah. Looper, if I may even throw that in too, kind of did that because they had a little, there was like hovering motorbikes and things but it still looked like a more realistic future like something we could see in the next few years it looked looked pretty similar to our like now
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah so that's why that's why you can pretty comfortably say either modern day or within like the next 5 to 10 years the the central technology of the film is the dc mini which is a piece of technology it's like a little headset that lets you enter other people's dreams um, and let you share dreams, and it's being developed by two doctors, uh, Tokita, who is uh, the the kind of engineer um, programmer behind the machine, and also Chiba, who is the psychologist and the protagonist mm-hmm. of the film, alongside her um, alter ego. Um, I don't feel like that's giving anything away. That's pretty obvious.
0: Yes, um, from her, that her- trippy opening sequence.
1: Yeah, uh, her her alter ego and the titular character, uh, Paprika, who uh, uses it to treat people's um, mental health issues. Um, for instance, it's mentioned in the film that she helps uh, the the director of her program with depression, and mm. and she did she did it this way by entering his dreams and uh, helping him work things out there.
0: She's like, like a freelance freelance because dreams dream is person. where. Our, you know subconscious tension seems uh, tends to release itself.
1: Yeah, right right in a very weird kind of surrealist manner um, that ends up expressing itself in the, the visual style of the film. Um, but the story of the film follows the, the the race to discover who stole the DC mini because someone stole it and now someone is committing essentially dream terrorism. Um,
0: Interesting uh, phrase among
1: the workers of it's it's 2017. We can still uh, just tack terrorism onto every <laughs> kind of crime.
0: <laughs> it's awesome,
1: and that's what they do in this film. It's it's uh, it's it's dream terrorism, um,
0: and it is terrifying.
1: It yes. is terrifying, and, and it is life threatening. And it it basically feels like somebody's trying to halt the production of the DC mini by stealing it and attacking the people who are making it. And it's this search by this psychologist and her team to try to stop this person. who We don't know who it is, by the way. It's it's a mystery. It is. Yeah. Oh, and I should also mention, before we move on, um, kind of in parallel to that mystery, kind of one of the side characters, but definitely a a, a main character in the movie, is um, the detective, Konakawa, who is one of, uh, Paprika's patients, uh, early on in the movie. He's actually, his dream sequences are what we, we open on. I'm sure we'll end up talking about that opening dream sequence. Um, but his, his kind of, ex- his experience with the, the mystery he's trying to solve, um, and the, the mental health issues he's trying to work through, uh, dealing with this complex past with his, uh, Unpursued dreams of becoming a filmmaker which becomes a very meta part of the plot kind of parallel the mystery that uh, Chiba and uh, Tokita are trying to solve on their end and they they end up working on the same projects all together um, Konakawa ends up being the detective assigned to the DC mini case and of course Paprika is trying to help um, the detective manage his dreams um, that he's having regarding this mystery murder that he can't solve hmm. um and the, the mystery murder it doesn't like who who actually killed the kai is not a central question of the plot it's more of the fact that the detective can't get over this hump and solve the case um that is more central to the plot
0: so one of the most striking things about this movie is its use of surrealist images which I mean, obviously are kind of unavoidable when you're making a movie about people's dreams. And when the conflict starts to take place within dreams, you're (laughs) you kind of have to get into some really trippy images or else it's not going to it's not going to work off or get the right feel that you're going for. Um, And we get some really, really strange things going on. Well, yeah. Like what better way to show these images than through, you know, animation? Yeah, definitely utilized here. And this is one that I haven't heard any rumors of it getting a live-action remake, which is great because I don't know if it's possible um, in this one. Uh, Sorry, Stanley Kubrick, um, (laughs) who says, if anything can be thought, dreamed, or um, written, it can be filmed. Um, But, yeah, yeah. anyway. (laughs) But it's actually really cool. Some of the ways that we kind of get into or start to realize that we might be in a dream. Um, are or characters who have been attacked by this um, this dream thief is uh, characters will start spouting nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, especially I when your subtitles were broken. Yeah, when you're listening to it in Japanese and reading the subtitles, you just kind of do a double take. And you're like, wait, did I read that right? Or <laughs> Well, it's, it's very reminiscent of Dreams. Like, I don't know if you guys experienced this, but I
2: know I have. And, you know, I my, me and I would, I would share a room with my brothers as kids. And they would just say things in their dreams. Like, very bizarre. Like, there's a frying pan on top of my refrigerator. Let go of it. You know, just like, yeah. what are they saying? Very, very true.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's... It's just really jarring, even though we know we're in a movie about dreams. Mm-hmm. When we're, you know, in the real world, and suddenly people start talking nonsense. It's awesome. And then another thing is the way that we kind of switch between the, at least what most of the time we assume is the real world, and the dream world is is through match cuts. So that's when we're seeing one image, and then all of a sudden the uh, the I guess animation in this. In this instance, cuts to an image that's almost the exact same. So a character might be in the same place, or an action might be continuing, uh, but we're suddenly in a new location. Um, Isn't the best one the one where she's walking up to like the fence at the, the amusement park and yeah. she falls right and through she it? Jump over it? Yeah, that one's and it's because yeah she she goes to jump over a rail and she Ooh, puts her hand on it gives me and suddenly the whole image <laughs> warps and then we cut and she's falling it's almost so off of a building. Um, But, yeah, and and another film that takes heavy influence from this movie is Christopher Nolan's Inception, Mm. uh, which also kind of uses this technique of um, cutting between different dream levels without any distinction, really, until we're suddenly in the next one. And that really makes you lose track of where you are in the story. Because in a lot of other movies that would kind of handle this in a more cliche way you get you know dreamy blurry uh vignettes around it or it's brighter or it's darker um or whatever something to differentiate it but in in these films it's just we're just kind of watching and trying to take in context clues of you know which what kind of reality or whose perspective are we coming from Mm. and then when dreams start merging because that's a side effect of this uh of this hack into the, uh, DC mini device is that there are a limited number of these in the world, but at some point, whoever is wearing them, their dreams start to, to intertwine and mix. And, uh, that at that point, everything just gets out of control. And, uh, it's hard enough for the characters to keep track of where they are, let alone us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The, the real and the dream worlds literally merge at one point in the film.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's also a lot of um, interesting parallels that the film tries to bring out. There's um, uh, dreams being used as a metaphor for both filmmaking and the internet. Yeah. <laughs> and they uh, they bring these out in, in some really interesting ways. That, that is a very interesting thing. The internet thing was very new to me. I didn't catch that at the first watch. And this
2: is a movie I've watched over and over again for years. It's one of my favorites. Uh, but for the first time I noticed, you know, the parallels between, you know, um, you know, Chiba and Paprika, how it's like a internet persona of some sort, you know,
0: um, very because interesting Paprika How Paprika you- is kind of a, um, Chiba's alter ego when right. she's using like the her DC avatar. mini, right. In the, in the dream world. I
1: don't mean blue people. I mean the anyway, <laughs> version, like ready player one type
0: avatar. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then also, as far as filmmaking, like Alex said, uh, one of the main characters, Konikawa, um <laughs> used to have dreams of being a filmmaker and has a lot of uh, filmmaking knowledge. Mm-hmm. And in his dreams, we're seeing uh, kind of rows of movie theaters playing movies, and he'll jump into movie scenes and stuff. And he kind of talks us through some, some really specific filmmaking techniques, like the 180 rule, um, yeah. which Satoshi Kon then actually breaks as an illustration and then literally flips the frame around to show us how it should be done. Yeah. Um, and this is also an interesting parallel with uh, with Inception, because there's a lot of theories, although it's not as blatant in this film, but in Inception, people have theorized that the main cast of Inception mm-hmm. kind of mirrors a film crew with the director and the writer and the producers and the cast um, and all those kind of things. And so... The fact that Inception draws on images from Paprika, which is a movie about how filmmaking mirrors dreaming, which a movie about dreaming uh, that (laughs) (laughs) is a metaphor for filmmaking. It's just this whole kind of meta symbolism that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've always
1: had um, a guilty pleasure for um, films that are meta about filmmaking. Um, and I think I think a lot of creatives who are interested in film uh, have that same tendency where we, we kind of like to we already like exploring it so of course we like movies about it and the first five minutes of this film are all all strung together are all Kanakawa's dreams that um, he and Paprika are exploring together as part of his treatment um, but they're also all Every single one is a movie reference. Um, mm-hmm. They reference uh, A Roman Holiday, uh, The Greatest Show on Earth, um, a spy movie whose name I can't remember.
0: Yeah, uh, I don't know what the train <laughs> one was. Um, I was thinking for Musha with Love. That's what the vibes I was getting. Is that That's it? I think me. that
1: might be it. Yeah. I can't remember the it exact it. It felt name kind of, of
0: Hitchcockian too, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. It wasn't Strangers on a Train, but that's what I was (laughs) going to.
1: (laughs) But they they definitely all were direct movie references. Mm -hmm. um, And they're all really rapid fire, jumping through um, dream to dream to dream, which is just kind of a nice way to open a film where you're going to be jumping back and forth between different levels of reality um, Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, But it also kind of sets up just the visual style of Satoshi Kon, really well with all of the match cuts um, and I mean like perfect match cuts Yeah. where um, Paprika is bringing down a briefcase on someone on the bad guy's head and then immediately it's the end of a guitar from uh,
0: the famous the Roman scene Holiday scene in, yeah. in
1: Roman Holiday where Audrey Hepburn um, smashes a guitar on some guy's head <laughs> It's good um, hashtag team Catherine but hashtag team Audrey yeah <laughs> <laughs> You
0: want to fight? You, yeah. You, you, is that how you want this podcast to go? And we um, will. The Battle of the Hepburns <laughs> is coming to the podcast. Wait for it. Just wait. Well, um, oh, that'll be interesting. <laughs> oh, man.
1: But but it's it's these perfect match cuts that make this switch between realities flow really well. Um, and for anybody who appreciates the craft of filmmaking, um, it, you kind of get giddy watching it. You're like, oh, that was done so <laughs> well. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, it just makes you appreciate um, the realm of possibilities that come along with doing uh, an animated film. Um, you can do this really crazy dream imagery that they do, but you can also do a perfect match cut at um, at a really quick speed, too. Yeah, yeah. Because you can manipulate the way things show up in camera. Um, like five frames of a guitar coming down on someone's head will be a lot clearer and a lot more precise in animation than they would be in live action.
0: Yeah. Um, And just kind of backtracking a little bit to the way that dreams parallel the internet, there's, there's one scene that actually happens a couple times where Konakawa opens his laptop and enters a chat room, but we literally see him entering this, Bar yeah. that represents the chat room um, <laughs> where he talks to Paprika, his dream therapist, um, and so it's like this literal like walking into uh, this dream world of the internet where anything can happen, kind of a thing. Um, that was really interesting. That was kind of like sprinkled throughout, but it wasn't a heavy uh, theme quite as much as the uh, the film parallels,
1: right? RadioClub.jp is actually a real site that it does is. exactly that. Oh,
0: interesting. If you're interesting. ever interested in visiting it. Oh, that actually brings me to another point that I wanted to make, which is the mixing of 3D and 2D animation, because those scenes where he's walking into this chat room are a use of 3D animation, whereas mo- most of the characters and other points of the film are um, are traditional cell uh, hand-drawn animation. And this was kind of a fad in the '90s and early 2000s, even in American films, which you could see in like uh, some of Disney's movies, like Treasure, Treasure Planet, Planet is an example specifically. Yeah. Um, but in this film, it it just kind of elevated the story because it's so trippy and working on so many different levels that this mixing of uh, a Dimensions. 3D environment and yeah, 2D yeah. environment. Um, worked really surprisingly well. Like at some point he was walking into that chat room, which is all built in a 3D environment. And I almost thought it was live action. And then I was like, oh yeah, this film is animated when the 2D (laughs) characters started walking into it.
2: Something else I want to mention, and this is kind of different. um, This is something I realized as well after my sixth viewing. um, I'm just giving it a number. I've seen this a billions of times. Um, Something that really... I related to and I don't know if you guys will as well but basically how the idea of or not the idea but the the definition of dreams like it, for the movie at first glance you're thinking dreams like nighttime dreams but then as the film goes on you start to realize it's more about the goals and aspirations of these characters and yeah how it mixes those yeah uh, like with Konikawa you know his dream of becoming a director and you know Things kind of didn't go the way I wanted to. You know, he's kind of put it aside and his dreams are, you know, reminiscent of that. But uh, it it was very relatable for me going through the same kind of thing. You know, watching this movie years ago back in high school when I was in a point... There was a line in the movie where where it was Konakawa and the doctor and they were walking outside and they were talking about how I want to go back to college where I was dreaming about my future, right? And so now I'm kind of in the college age. I'm not really in college, uh, but you guys uh, are or have just finished. But I kind of relate to that. I want to go back to high school sometimes. I want to go back to when I was thinking about my future. And I'm always thinking about the opportunities I missed and things. And it's interesting how sitting in that moment where you're just stuck in nostalgia, you're stuck in those old dreams, you know, you really get caught up in it. You don't progress. You don't go anywhere. So I love the resolve of the movie in the end where, you know, I guess it's a spoiler, but we're getting towards the end of this thing. If I can kind of say, you know, he does resolve, I'm not going to say how, but he does resolve, you know, that conflict. And so he's able to be happier. He's able to enjoy movies again because somewhere in the movie he's like, I hate them. I can't watch them. Yeah. Right? But, uh, it's, it's relatable and if you can find a way to connect yourself to that, I think you can find yourself really opening your mind and kind of thinking like, Hey, Maybe, maybe I am like this. Maybe there are things that I need to do, you know, it just because you missed it in the past doesn't mean you can't do it now or you can't live out that dream in your regular everyday, you know, life experience. So I thought that was beautiful. And it, it choked me up after this viewing. I was just, just like, Oh, how perfect, how perfect is that? I thought y'all could chew on that a little bit too.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's another idea that kind of ties this movie into our our other two is that a lot of these characters have kind of two sides to themselves. Hmm. Um, you know, the the dreaming side, the side where in the dream they can be everything that they wanted to be, um, or if they aren't, then they kind of uh, feel like a part of them has died in the dream. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and and that gets taken to either really good places or really bad places based on what the characters dream for themselves. Right. Um, and that's where a lot of the conflict comes from, but that's all kind of the, the characters are able to interact with that through this technology of the DC mini, um, which goes into our idea with the other movies of how technology kind of changes our self perception. Once Mm -hmm. it starts to become, um, a part of us and in, parts of this movie the dc mini literally becomes part of whoever's wearing it um, yeah after this hack happens that nightmare feel where the guy's got that thing in yeah, his head and like, squirming around yeah, oh yeah it's
2: crazy it's good <laughs> yeah so let's uh let's
1: transition now into our spoiler section our overall notes section um and and start talking about how these films come together to kind of make a really interesting picture of what animation and anime films can be, um, and and we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of the bigger themes here. But I also want to say that I think that this this kind of proves that these movies are more than just uh, silly childish movies. They're not that at all. They're they're deep and meaningful and really well crafted and visually interesting and entertaining and thematically deep movies um and i'm going to get down off my soapbox <laughs> and uh pass it over to Jonathan because i know you've had a lot of big thoughts on the giant philosophy questions and conundrums that they've approached in uh in these movies this week and this merger between humanity um and technology i should say this clash between humanity and technology or maybe both i don't know you tell me
0: yeah it was really it was really interesting for me and anyone who follows me on Twitter kind of saw that I was like having this <laughs> kind of um, existential crisis with these movies <laughs> <laughs> with like all the the variety of themes because like these are definitely not kids movies and these present a lot of um, really big ideas from Akira uh, with literally showing um, and we're in the overall section so we're probably going to get into some spoilers throughout here. So in Akira we're seeing this idea of that literally gets to the Big Bang and this idea that uh, the universe is constantly destroying and then recreating itself and getting back to a point where, um, I don't know, I guess the creatures are so powerful that they go, it it becomes this cycle of destruction and recreation and destruction again um, that goes throughout, Mm. whereas in Ghost in the Shell, like I said, it is bringing in um, biblical theology or or biblical uh philosophies and stuff um which was really surprising to me mm. um coming from a completely separate culture which i actually think this film was developed um in collaboration with some british companies and stuff too so i'm not sure if that's where some of that came from but that kind of takes it into this place where um as opposed to the technology being this destructive force it's kind of this perfecting force um, and then in Paprika, we're going even to um, a different place where the technology can uh, just magnify the the whatever is inside of a person. So mm. now we're in the spoiler section now. So I'm going to say that the uh, the main antagonist, who is the um, the chairman of this company that is developing the technology professor x yeah yeah basically (laughs) he's he's wheelchair ridden and um bald and looks uh strikingly similar to maybe a japanese patrick stewart (laughs) Uh, but his aspiration is to be you know um very large and powerful and able um which you see from someone who is disabled and might be bitter about it having that kind of dreams and the technology allows him to uh take over other people's dreams and, um, literally suck the color out of the world. And, um, but then we see Paprika and, um, Tokita, uh, finally Paprika lets Chiba kind of release herself from this reserved, um, side of herself that we're seeing on the outside. Mm -hmm. Um, and Paprika is her her freer self who can basically do whatever she wants in the dream world because she's unrestrained from her insecurities uh, to to reveal her crush on Tukita and uh, they actually combine to become this force of of childlike love that literally uh, absorbs all the darkness and and puts the world right. Um, So it's, it's really this interesting range that I was not expecting from these movies that are all... Uh, could be found in the same genre, this cyberpunk genre. Um, And again, like going back to our um, Lost at Sea week quite a while ago now, um, it's this idea of um, taking the same elements, this element of what happens when humans and technology merge, and using that to present um, all different kinds of of themes and theories. uh, And that's what that's what makes each film unique and impactful.
1: It's kind of like um, the same setup, but different punchlines.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's where we get. You know, we've talked about it in some of our remake uh, episodes where you can even take the exact same plot and still come out with a different theme and and uh, and have different. As long as you're saying something different and not just saying just echoing what someone else has already said, but bringing something new to the table. That's what makes an effective film.
2: That's kind of the beauty again of Japanese animation and film is they all kind of go off with the same kind of ideas, but they just deliver it in such a weird and new and bizarre way every single time. It's never the same thing, at least from so far from what I've, from what I've seen, that's how it is. And, um, uh... I just, I just love that. It's and and two, you know, when you watch the movie again and again, it does feel new every single time, and that was definitely evident with these films.
1: Yeah, and uh, of course we can't end the podcast without talking about the Ghost in the Shell live action reboot. Um, but we can end the podcast without talking about the Ghost in the Shell live action reboot because
0: because <laughs> you're the will only one who's seen it so far. That.
1: With uh, Jason Me. on his show, and yeah. Jason, do you want to tell us a little bit about what your what your show is?
2: Yeah, so my show is called Screen Test Premiere, and it is a show based around the movies coming out today. Um, so I just kind of it's sit on down YouTube. It is on YouTube, exactly. Uh, it's it's relatively short, uh, f- usually five minutes, and I just kind of talk about the movie and my thoughts. I review it, and uh, I kind of toss around the pros and cons, and let you. Uh, get to think about the film and decide what you think of it. Uh, If you've seen the movie, we can have a conversation. You can write your own reviews in the comments. I'll read them and I'll post them on my next video. Uh, It's a very community-based series. I just started it, so there's not too many people interacting just yet. But it's a lot of fun getting to talk with the people that are um, following in. It's just getting to talk about movies, which is why I'm here, because I like talking about movies, and I'm so honored that you guys had me on to do this with y'all and to show you all the movies that I got to watch when I was younger and seeing y'all's
0: reactions. Those was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> glad to have yeah. you. You brought a lot to the conversation. We're glad to have you.
2: Thank you. I and, feel like I was just honored. listening to
0: y'all. so <laughs> But still,
2: yes, thank you.
1: And we're honored and excited to be on your YouTube channel.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun and we're just going to kind of talk about the new movie and we're going to look at the parallels and maybe even discuss the controversies surrounded around the movie because there are those. Um, And we'll
1: we'll definitely be doing our best to make sure that info gets to uh, you guys, our audience, um, that you have links to Jason's channel and you have a direct link to uh, the video that we are featured in um, so you can see us. Whenever and that to is us posted. Talk about Ghost at, in, the Shell.
2: in person, you get to see them, you get to see the faces of the filmlings. Yes. Isn't that exciting?
0: Um, all right. Very exciting. So talking about next week on the Filmlings podcast, we are going back to Samurai's and Sombreros Volume Two. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: Our Japan kick continues.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for awesome. this week, we're doing another. Obviously, Samurai film, which was remade into a Western film. This time, the film is a little bit more well-known, I think, than The Magnificent Seven, at least until The Magnificent Seven was remade. Right. <laughs> um, but anyway, the Samurai film is uh, also by Akira Kurosawa, who we had last time on Samurais and Sombreros, uh, called Yojimbo uh, from 1961. Uh, which was remade by Sergio Leone um, into A Fistful of Dollars in 1964. That's going to be cool. Yeah, with... uh, I love A Fistful of Dollars and I have not seen Yojimbo, so I am super excited to uh, compare the two. Nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, we have both... uh, We get to see more of Toshiro Mifune in Yojimbo and we get to see the American Toshiro Mifune, Clint Eastwood, in A Fistful of Dollars. Um, Both... You know, incredible people. Even though I think more more people know Clint Eastwood, so um, and it should be very, very. It should be a fun week, essentially. Yeah, what I'm getting absolutely. at. Absolutely. And before we go, we have one other thing that we want to ask you, uh, our audience. Um, it would help us out a lot if you would take the time to go over to iTunes, find the film links, and rate and review the podcast.
0: Yeah, that will um, help other people find it and kind of. Uh, know what we're about so if they come upon it and want to know what kind of things we talk about you guys can tell them uh, your impression Mm -hmm.
1: and we would also love to hear what you guys have to think about us and our podcast um, and the things you want to hear more of and maybe the things that you think we need to work on Um, we love doing this for our own learning experience but we also want to make sure we're delivering the best show possible to you guys each week
0: absolutely well, that's about all the time we have for this episode. If you have movie suggestions for us or just want to reach out, I can be found on Twitter at, at JSSAchel. And I'm at Alex Gerringer. And I am found at TheBlueJay1994. And to find links to stuff that we talked about today and a link to Jason's channel and the video that we'll be featured in. And also just to find a complete list of the films that we've talked about so far on the podcast, you can find them on the blog now at thefilmlings.wordpress.com. Well, hey, uh, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Real talk. It was, again, it was an
2: honor, and I'm so glad I got to finally share these movies with someone else who is willing to, you know, take them. They're not really easy to take in at first, but you guys are troopers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for introducing us to these to these films. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Didn't you
2: What was y'all's favorite movie, if I may ask? What was the favorite of the three? Paprika. I yeah. thought so. Paprika. Same <laughs> with me. I love all of these movies, but Paprika, I, it's easy to watch over, yeah. and over and over. It's a lot of fun.
0: Cool. For sure.
1: Well, thank you for coming on the show again, Jason. Um, and I will talk to you next week, Jonathan. All right. See ya. Canada! <laughs> There you go